Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Thank you for finding your way to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. No matter how you got here, whether it was on foot, by train, by horse, or by drift boat. Well, today we're going to be talking about it being cold out, because it's cold out. At present, where I sit, it's actually like 68 degrees, but outside of where I sit, it is 37, and my watch has little snowflake marks on the little temperature gauge that I have, which means that there is some sort of wintry mix or precipitation, at least in the forecast. In fact, this morning, I woke up to one of my children saying, it snowed out, it snowed out, it snowed out. And I said, it's the early part of November. You're crazy. And uh, much to my surprise, I looked across the road at my neighbor's house, and there were, indeed, in the eaves, uh, piles of snow. I went out to drive a couple hours later, and there was slush piled up on my windshield wipers. So it is that time of year. So whether you're listening to this live or you're listening to this in the middle of January, where the idea of a few snowflakes is novel and kind of cute, uh, this is a podcast where we're going to be talking about some things to think about to prepare for these days. Because, and, and again, I'm totally okay with people who like to put the fly rod away December, January, February, maybe even March. Because there are times where it just is not fun. You say, no, it's fun all the time. And I've talked about this before, where it's okay to have different perspectives on fishing through the winter. Uh, It's okay to do it and be totally hard about it and get out there and get after every fish. But I think you also have to appreciate there's sometimes where it's probably not the best thing for the fish and it's probably not the best thing for you. So uh, I'm okay with someone saying, you know what, I've got other things I'm going to do in the wintertime. I'm going to tie flies. I'm going to read books. I'm going to sit by the fire. I'm going to polish my rod and reel collection and uh, go to fly fishing shows. That's a completely fine thing to do. But then there's a lot of folks that like to just enjoy going out whenever they want to get out. 
I, for years, had the uh, tradition of going out on certain days, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, the first day of deer season in Pennsylvania. Always make sure you wear an orange hat for, for that activity. Um, the uh, New Year's Day, maybe New Year's Eve. Uh, these were days I would just like to go out because there's usually not that many people on the water. And it was a great way to kind of fit fishing into my kind of traditions of, of the year. So I spent a lot of time fishing in the winter, especially where I lived in Pennsylvania. I fished on a lot of spring creeks. So the water was flowing fine. and The fish were feeding fine. But I guess today what I wanted to do is talk through a few things just to get you ready for being on the water in the cold. Some have to do with gear, some have to do with presentation, some have to do with approach. So it's a potpourri of winter and cold weather fly fishing stuff. If you want more in-depth analysis of gear, of technique, of even just how and where to fish when it comes to winter, then head over to castingacross.com, put winter in the search bar. You'll find all sorts of articles that talk about everything from nymphing in an incredibly slow and boring manner uh, to the kind of clothes that you will need to stay warm. But we're going to touch on a handful of those topics today in the podcast. And the first one is something that absolutely drives people bonkers, and it is one of the things that will keep people off the water if it happens repeatedly because it is uh, a significant frustration for any angler, and that is when your guides ice up, when your guides ice up. So if you're a new angler, your guides are those little things on your fly rod that make your line stay where it's supposed to go. And when the water comes back from the river to your fly rod on your fly line, it will accumulate on those guides. And uh, if it's freezing fast enough, and especially if you're not making a lot of casts, if you're casting and watching your drift, and maybe you have a stationary target you're fishing to, so not a lot of lines coming in and out of your guides, you're just picking up and putting down, picking up and putting down, uh, then that will have a chance to accumulate. So there's a few things to think about here. One, uh, fly rods are built to be used in a wide variety of settings and circumstances, and that includes weather. They are outdoor gear pieces, right? Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head what the tolerances are. Uh, certainly there would be a cold where a fly rod would be in a dangerous place as far as the components. And there'd also be a heat place. Uh, the epoxies, the uh, re resins, the materials themselves, the graphite, the fiberglass, uh, and even the metal is going to become very brittle or going to become very malleable at certain temperature extremes. But that is not what you're going to find under normal angling circumstances. Uh, it's just something just to be aware of that these things are, uh, they're, they're built and to be, be light and to be uh, affordable. They're built in such a way that they're not impervious to the elements. But your biggest concern here is twofold. One, uh, it has to do with your fly line. It has to do with your fly line because ice is abrasive. You may say, no, no, no ice is smooth. Well, ice is smooth, but at the uh, micro level, ice is abrasive. And so there's a couple things that, that this means. One, when you are fishing in the ice and you're fishing on, on a river and there's ice there, do not drag your fly line across an ice shelf. Uh, you're, you're not making some sort of cute and quaint presentation there. That's actually very, very bad for your fly line. The uh, plastics that are used in the construction of your fly line will get scratched, will get snagged on this, and it will be bad for it. Secondly, when you have this ice buildup on your guides, pulling your fly line through that is going to it's going to go through that same abrasion and it is going to cause problems for that fly line. And fly line 
you can you can buy the cheapest stuff and treat it like dirt, but your casting is going to suffer for it. Or you can buy the nicest stuff and take care of it, and your casting is going to do much, much better. So one of the ways that you can take care of your fly line and uh, enjoy fishing in the wintertime is to make sure that, that you don't have that buildup on your guides. Now, is it going to be completely possible to eliminate those the, the, the icing up of your guides? Not completely, but there's ways you can mitigate it. First and foremost, do not snap it off by using your fingers because, as I said before, the components that go into a fly rod have high tolerance for adverse conditions, but they are not impervious. So if you are repeatedly snapping that uh, kind of little ball of ice that builds up around and inside of your guide, whether you have a spiral guide or a snake guide or uh, even just a normal uh, style of guide like you'd see on your stripping guide or on like a spinning rod, by repeatedly snapping that, you are pressing on and applying pressure to a very small piece of equipment. I mean, the relatively narrow diameter piece of metal, um, even if you're using something uh, that's very, very durable and uh, doing that over and over again, even if that material itself holds up, then you're putting undue stress on the epoxy and the thread holding that there. So it's best to avoid that. So if you don't have a material that, uh, that as I'm going to talk about here in a minute, some sort of compound or substance to apply to your fly rod, what do you do? Well, the easiest thing to do here one, is twofold. One, you can just use your fingertips, but that's going to make your fingertips cold. Something that you can do, especially if you're only getting the buildup in a few different places is, here we go, put it in your mouth. It's going to make it wet, so it's going to freeze up again, but it will cut down on that uh, icing up. Now, this is not ideal. I wouldn't do this, but it's not going to make your hand cold, and it's not going to damage your fly rod. So this is like like worst-case scenario, best thing to do, all right? But the better thing to do is to apply a substance. Now, you will see all sorts of things of, that people do. Um, they will put uh, a nonstick spray, like a can of Pam. They'll carry with them in their fly fishing vest and spray this on their fly rod. Now, why does that work? Well, it works because it's a, a like a, a lubricant and it's also a nonstick spray, which means that the water is not going to adhere to that as quickly. Now, I don't like this because there's all sorts of things in aerosol that I don't necessarily want on my fly line and probably not on my fly rod. So if you're going to coat your fly rod, especially the guides in Pam to go out and fish for the day, I would say knock yourself out, but then wash your rod and wash your line and wash your reel afterwards, because there's a lot more than just a nonstick agent that's in an aerosol spray can. Okay. It works. People swear by it. I just don't want that stuff building up on my fly line because uh, fly line is not perfectly smooth. In fact, a lot of the nicer fly lines today have a texture to them, which helps cut down on the friction as they move through your guides and through your fly rod. But consequently, that means that things that are really small like a aerosol lubricant, it can get all over that and clog it up and, and cause it to adhere to, uh, to well, not immediately, but eventually the, the non, not the non-stick agent, but the other things that are in the aerosol will cause it to stick to stuff later on. So I would say wash it, wash it, wash it. But you can also avoid this altogether by doing something much better. Some people use chapstick, but for only a few more dollars, you can get a product from the good people at Loon Outdoors called Stanley's Iced Off Paste, seven and a half bucks. So I don't always name drop uh, particular products on this part of the podcast. Of course, I've every every week and, on, and this week is not uh, any different. I'll mention a product or a thing by name. Uh, but when it comes to 
products that do the job that I am asking you to consider doing about keeping your guides from icing up, then Loon's Paste is going to do that great. And it's built for this particular, you know, application. Uh, Chapstick may be half the price, but it's not built for this. So again, if you want to save a couple bucks and put some other chemicals on your rod that you are unfamiliar with, then knock yourself out. Now, to be fair, if you're putting it on your lips, it's probably okay to put on your fly rod. But uh, for a couple more dollars, it's got a nice little hook that you can put it on your, your vest, you can put it on your pack. It's, it's probably not a bad thing to do. So uh, that is what my suggestion would be. But there's a way around this. I mean, I've known people that have said, I tried to go fishing and I absolutely hated it because my guys kept icing up. Okay, well, there's a way around it. So that's the first thing. I know there's a lot of conversation, but anytime we, it has to do with fly line, I get very excited and I, I want to make my strong opinions known. All right, so that's the first thing. Be aware of rod guides icing up. The next thing I want to mention is that you need to bring your dry flies with you. You need to bring your dry flies with you. One of the biggest knocks besides the uncomfortable nature of it being cold and your guides icing up and how that's uncomfortable and, and inconvenient is that you're having to fish slow and you're having to fish low. Some of the best things in the world do come from slow and low. I mean, barbecue, for example. However, this is not an accurate statement of fishing in the wintertime. There is plenty of dry fly action in the winter. In fact, you can almost have a better grasp on when the fish are going to be rising in the wintertime than you can in other seasons. It's almost the inverse of what you see in the summer. Now, this isn't true in every water body. It isn't true in every month of the winter. It's not true in every region even. But one of the things that you find is like, in the summertime, usually you'll see a great dry fly burst of action first thing in the morning and right before it gets it gets dark out. Okay, so morning and evening. In the wintertime, you usually see it in the middle of the day. Why does it happen in the middle of the day? Because there are certainly macroinvertebrates that will be more active at this time of day. One, because the water is warming up because the sun is higher and it starts to warm up a little bit. So you're talking about really small shifts in the temperature that are triggered by the sun getting higher in the sky. So even if it's midges, even if it's some small little black caddises, caddises, cat eye, anyway, wh whenever those bugs come off, it's going to be a little bit more like clockwork. So if sunrise is at, you know, six o'clock and the sun is high in the sky around 11, then you can almost set your watch the fact that if there's going to be dry fly activity, it's going to be at 1130 or noon. Now, again, there's so many variables there, but I've had some spectacular dry fly fishing days and stretches of days in the middle of the winter. And it has been on big rivers fishing with caddis, like late October, November um, caddis and some really big rivers out here out east. And then midges and midges that are coming off and, and the, the trout are feeding on them like they would if it was trichos in June. Uh, and they absolutely will pursue them. And they'll, they'll trigger on them. And those small variations in the water temperature cause the bugs to move and they cause the fish to move also. Because critters are going to take advantage of those small variations, those little changes in their environments to get what they need, particularly when it comes to food. And so these bugs are taking advantage of it. And those fish are going to take advantage of the bugs taking advantage of it as well. So bring your dry flies. It might not be a full robust robust box, but you're going to be able to find the kind of bugs that are uh, that are moving around, that are flying around, that are hatching, that are going to be landing on the surface or emerging, and the fish are going to be pursuing them. And 
when those fish have been used to going after things that look in one particular way, to give them a choice offering of something else may very well trigger them to move a little bit more. Um, you find this when you are swinging flies. You'll find this when you are pulling up flies on the retrieve that you'll have fish that get very aggressive even in the wintertime because you're just pulling that fly in front of them like you would otherwise. I mean, you have to think about it this way. Uh, do people who fish spinners and people who fish uh, rubber worms catch trout in the wintertime? And the answer is an unequivocal yes. Why is that? Because they are keying in on a fish's predatory response. And they're using something like motion to go after a fish. And that doesn't necessarily have to be something with a spinning blade. It doesn't have to be something with a garlic infused scent. It could very well be a skittering, puffy attractor fly on top of the water. And it's not going to be as likely as the time of the year when there's grasshoppers landing on the water, but it's still a possibility. And there's no reason you can't do it. Now, you know, it's it's if you're fishing uh, Catskill style dry flies with a very, very delicate presentation in the middle of winter, there's a chance you're going to catch the fish, but it's not going to be as likely as uh, as other times of year. So, of course, there's some things that you have to weigh your options. But just like you are going to be fishing differently throughout the seasons, uh, you can fish differently in the wintertime, but utilizing those same techniques and those same flies and make sure you keep dry flies in your rotation. You can have some really, really fun days and man. What a what a terrible sensation that would be if you're watching a bunch of fish upstream rise and you look down and all you have is a bunch of really heavily weighted tungsten, tungsten nymphs. That would be absolutely traumatic. All right. So first talked about how you can get out on the water and you can uh, fish even if there's ice that could be forming in your vi uh, your guides. You can completely circumvent that. Secondly, don't hesitate to bring and to fish dry flies. It is you don't want to be left without them, right? Uh, third thing is uh, is is your footwear, okay? So I'm, I'm talking about some of the things that I talk about all season long, but they have particular applications different times of year. So uh, footwear matters so much. Uh, fishing in felt is not good when there's snow and ice and slush on the ground. Uh, it can be particularly dangerous. In fact, uh, I don't know if you've ever done the platform shoe thing as you're walking with felt soles and they start to pick up snow. And uh, I mean, felt will stick to ice really well. Um, it does have a lot of traction on ice, but when there's anything loose, so snow, or if the ice has a little bit of, uh, you know, wet on top of it, that's when it gets dangerous. So this is where studs and super aggressive studs are going to be your best friend. Uh, the kind of spikes that uh, people use when they're fishing jetties, the kind of spikes that uh, people use when they are um, walking on ice to get out to their uh, their ice fishing shanty, or, and this is the one that you, you've you known if you've been on DIY message boards for fly fishing gear, uh, the spikes that motorcycle racers that race motorcycles on ice, what they use as, as traction for their tires, uh, having those instead of uh, normal little tiny studs that you screw into the bottom of your wading boots is something that a lot of people do. But I like to use my, my wading soles that were designed for my fly fishing boots that have really aggressive spikes on them so that I can move around safely. Because um, 
for, for one, you're going to have a, a variety of circumstances. You have the trail, which could be in really bad shape. Then you have accessing the water, which can be the most dangerous place uh, for you to step into the water and there being a, a variety of, of different surfaces. And then you can even have it where there is water and you're wading shallow, but there's ice that's underneath the water if the water levels come up um, or if it is, uh, you know, if, if you're on the, the edge of the stream and that water is kind of lapping and it causes there to be ice. Um, that can be dangerous as well. And so although big aggressive spikes might not be your preferred sole most of the year, now's the time to have a boot with that on it or whether it be removable soles or removable studs. This is a great thing to employ to keep you upright and keep you safe. And the last thing is another technique thing. So I have two gear things and two technique things. Uh, this one has to do with fishing bigger water. Now is the time of year when you can fish the major river systems that your trout stream flows into because those fish are going to seek thermal refuge, especially if you're fishing a freestone stream that is going to get really cold that maybe even has ice, certainly if there's anchor ice, so ice that goes all the way to the bottom. I mean, fish are going to get out of there as fast as they can. It can be completely deadly to populations. Um, but these fish will move out of these smaller creeks and these smaller streams into larger rivers, the kind of rivers that only hold catfish and carp year round or throughout the, the warmer months, now you're going to find trout in the mouths of the trout streams as they empty into these larger rivers. Now's the time to fish those places. And now's the time to get out there and see what else you're going to find, because you're going to find the fish that um, like the warmer water are going to move into those river mouths also. Uh, so you're going to catch a complete mixed bag. This is also the time of year if you uh, can find any place where there's a warm water discharge. It might not be through a super environmentally friendly situation. Uh, it could be through a water treatment plant or something like that. But you go to those spots and you're going to find all sorts of fish. So this is kind of branching outside of trout, but uh, it, it's the same kind of mentality. You're going to find fish in different places at this time of year, as it starts to get cold, those fish are going to drop down the river systems. Some species do this more often than others. You find brown trout that do this a lot, but you'll see it too with brookies and rainbows, but they'll drop down those river systems, find their way into the larger body of water where they have more space to move around, where they're going to have a little bit of thermal refuge. And uh, you're going to be able to fish in places where you don't get to fish spring, summer, and fall in the winter, which can be a little bit fun. You have a nice, maybe wide open cast where you're used to fishing in smaller rivers. Uh, you're able to get out in your canoe and uh, and do that. Just make sure you're fishing safely if you're canoeing in, in the cold weather. But uh, that's just another way to mix up your fishing and maybe even do it in a way that uh, encourages you to get out and try something new. So four quick bits of advice and encouragement that really ought to just let you know that you can go out there and do this this time of year. You can go out there and fish, even for trout this time of year. It doesn't have to be through the ice. It's uh, in spite of the ice. Um, but again, if you don't want to do it, I'm not forcing you to do it. So any other tips, tricks, ideas, techniques, accusations, whatever it may be about winter fly fishing, certainly over the course of the coming months, we'll be talking more about it. But here's a few things that hopefully will get you encouraged to get out and make it happen this season on the water. This week on castingacross.com, the first article that came out was called Trout and the Depth of Temptation. And I will tell you what this article is. It is a uh, horror. I don't know about horror. Maybe. It's a scary story, kind of, sort of. I mean, it's not violent or anything like that, but it can creep you out, especially if uh, you're fishing and it's really, really dark out. But trout and the depth of temptation, a little bit of allegory and uh, a little bit of a stab at a different stab. That's horror. Uh, a different style of writing for me over at castingacross.com. And then Wednesday is called Moving Fly Fishing Gear. 
Uh, so I'm moving. I've mentioned that a few times. And as I've been packing fly fishing gear up, I've learned a few things. One is that you really just throw everything in a box. I mean, there's a couple things I didn't like. I've got some like water proofing treatment for gear. I've kept that separate. I don't want that leaking everywhere. I want to make sure my floating and stuff isn't going to get smushed and squirt all over everything. Um, but aside from that, everything else is just like you throw it in a box because it's going to be safe. There's a couple other things that I've kind of uh, um, observed as I've been packing and moving my fly fishing gear. Um, and so I've made those observations over on that article, moving fly fishing gear over at castingacross.com. This week's recommendation is a piece of cold weather gear, and I just picked it up specifically for duck hunting, uh, but I, I'm really happy uh, with the purchase. So this is from uh, Cabela's Gore-Tex Extreme Collection. So I own a pair of gloves from this collection and a neck gaiter from this collection. I picked up the beanie. Um, they are incredibly warm, like walking around the house just you know, wearing around like a goofball for 15 minutes, my head got hot. Um, but uh, if you're outside, it, it's going to do the trick. And it is not a flattering cut. Uh, that's to say, this is not going to be the, the kind of hat that you wear uh, out and around. I mean, it comes right over your eyebrows, and then it cuts down uh, kind of in front of your ear, and then goes down to the back of your neck. I mean, kind of look like... Um, uh, a character in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail wearing this thing. It comes in a, a couple different camo patterns. There's a very inoffensive that true timber. True timber makes a, uh, a strata pattern, which is kind of like a, a digital camo, if you will. Very inoffensive, even if you're not a camo person. But this would be a spectacular hat to wear because you put this thing on and you put a pair of uh, sunglasses on, and uh, you you basically have full protection from uh, your nose up. Uh, from the elements. It's it's windproof, it's waterproof, and uh, it's going to keep you super warm. And the cool thing about it, I don't think it even touts it on the website, is that you can flip up. It has a seam that kind of runs over your ears and around the base of your skull that you could flip up that bottom portion if you want to, a little bit of ventilation or you don't want to, your, your ears covered up. I actually have to say that um, unless it's incredibly cold, I do not like having my ears covered up uh, because I like to be able to hear what's around me. So uh, definitely check this out. I'll put a link to the Cabela's Gore-Tex Extreme Beanie uh, on this podcast show notes over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.